the Music Relish Podcast is here for you. With Perry Dedovich, Mark Smith, and Lou Colicchio. The Music Relish Podcast. Yeah. Well, good evening. Good evening, guys. How you doing? Doing good. How are you? Doing fine. Lou, lovely intro again. Yes, and I'm woefully unprepared. I, lo- I love how you worked in all the names. <laughs> <laughs> and, the na- and, and Lou Colicchio. <laughs> so 50s. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm, a big, I'm a big Sinatra fan, Perry. You know, when you're, when you're loved and you're lost like Frankie, well, you know, you just you, you feel these things. It's in the phrasing. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I, I went Bruno Kirby Jr. from Spinal Tap on you there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was, well, you, you know, like when when you did the part with Kolicky, well, you have all the vowels in your name, so it worked perfectly. <laughs> all four of them. Lou, can you turn your volume up a couple of notches? Um, really? Are you yeah. a, no, actually, this is it. Okay. I can hear. I can hear you just fine. Okay, so um, Mark, you came up with this category. What have you been listening to? What have you been listening to? And that includes anything new you listen to during the week, something old that you forgot about but reconnected with, or something old that you never knew and you're embarrassed to admit that you never listened to it in the first place. We all have those times. So I think that would be something that the three of us could talk about every week. You know, we listen to music all the time. What what really hit you this week? Yeah, well, you know what? We'll start with those, and then we'll go on for a few other categories, too. So why don't you start, Mark? What have you been listening to? Well, mine is something old that I should always have gotten into and I never did because I'm woefully ignorant of early Fleetwood Mac and my son-in-law Takena berated me handily for not listening to them play on. And I got to say, I bought it. I had to get the deluxe version and it is their early version of Tusk. It was Peter Green taking over the band and doing what he wanted to do. It's a fantastic album. I thought that was Lindsey Buckingham with Tusk. Yeah. Well, what what it means, it's it's like, you know how Tusk was, Lindsey Buckingham kind of took over and said, we're going to do what we want to do. When they did then play on, they were a blues band, but Peter Green yeah. started writing non-blues stuff. Um, a little psychedelic, but it had two huge singles, uh, Oh Well and Green Monolici. But in addition to that, it's it's not a blues album. It's, it's a blues album, but it's not a blues album. It's a fantastic album. And, and what year did this record come out? 68, no, 69. 69. Wow. So who was in the band back then? So it was Peter Green. Mick. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Danny Kerwin on guitar. Jeremy Spencer on guitar. Uh, John McVie on bass. And, and uh, Mick on drums. And... They, I think that Christine Perfect, that was her real name at the time, Christine Perfect, not McVie, that would might have appeared on a couple songs on that album. Not positive on that. Um, she didn't become a full-time member until after. It was also Peter Green's last album with the band. He had a severe mental breakdown. And as Mick Fleetwood says in his autobiography, just listen to Green Monolishi. That's a man having a mental breakdown, but it's a great song. It, it is a great song. Uh, Danny Kerwin kind of went off the reservation too at one point, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sad. You know, he is he the one to join the church or something, and he shaved I, his I head. I think so. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I think he just one day he just he up and left. I think and kind of drifted that way. But you know, I don't think it was a good thing for him. 
No. And uh, Jeremy Spencer, if I'm not mistaken, he became homeless uh, wow. years later. He quit and he he tried to do stuff and he really didn't. He did a couple solo albums and he had problems mentally, too. And uh, when Mick caught up with him, I believe he he was just sleeping on park benches. It's kind of sad. Wow. You know? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I looked into their story when um, I read about uh, their last one with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, you know, their induction when Bob Welch was excluded from it. And because I wondered why that happened, I, I went read some of their past history because I'm not all that familiar with a lot of the early stuff either, Mark. Um, stuff I've heard, I've, I've, I've rather liked, you know, I like Fleetwood Mac. I'm not crazy about them. You know, I, I mean, I think Rumors is a great album and it's one of the few albums of the era that was recorded probably with coke ears, but it didn't didn't sound like it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um and we also had the VH one uh making of that album, you know, it's just you know, a lot of <laughs> a lot of shenanigans going on. But um yeah, but they were they were a great band. I mean, uh, we've talked about Mick Fleetwood as a drummer, you know, the guy's underrated, but he's such a metronome and he's you know, creative. Absolutely. And you know, they have definite periods. So like that was the end of their first period, you know, of the blues. So after that it kind of like with Bob Welch. I love that little period with Bob Welch. It's definitely worth checking those albums out. Future Games, Mystery to Me with uh, uh, Hypnotized. Great yeah. stuff. Just really good stuff. It's, maybe it's a little softer. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, there, there's some good songs in those albums. Yeah. yeah, it was very soft. Yeah, I saw them playing like some concert, some Us Festival or something uh, some uh, sometime back with Bob Welch. It was right, Lou. It was very soft. Yeah. Well, kind of jazzy too. Um, not Bob unlike Welch. Peter. Yeah, not unlike Peter Frampton in that way too. Good point. Good point. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, which is I think why I wasn't a big Peter uh, Frampton fan is because of that jazzy influence. Yeah. Yeah. Even if, like, a, do you feel like I do? You know, it's 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 jazz inflected, but I'm, I'm, it's good. It's good. Oh, if you listen to, to Peter Frampton closely, I mean, I knew, me and Perry knew that was associated with the laundromat. That was a big Peter Frampton fram, right, Perry? Uh, but his solos, definitely, you think you're hearing uh, a blues, standard blues solo. But if you try to play blues, what he's playing, no, he had those little notes in there, very jazzy, very mm, excellent. Yeah. 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 So, um, so about this Fleetwood Mac record, um, I haven't. I I actually haven't heard any of it. Uh, I just uh, was on my radar, but maybe I'll check it out. I would definitely recommend checking it out. So, their first two albums, they were just strictly blues. So on this album, Peter Green was kind of like, "Oh, I'd like to play with some tapes, like uh, editing, adding effects," and that was a whole to Fleetwood Mac. That was just a whole new world. So when they started recording the album, they just jammed, and they didn't have much. But something clicked at some point, but they took those jams and they, they have them resurfaced throughout the album. You know, um, there's just one really annoying song on there. I'm sorry. It's one yeah. of one songs. It just drives me crazy. But other than that, yeah, it's it. Perry, you should definitely check it out. Um, you would like it. I think you would. Oh, it, I'm it, sure I will. Yeah. It, it, it should be noted. It should be noted that Judas Priest covered Green Manalishi. That's how I discovered that song. And I thought it was the best thing. I thought it was the best heavy metal song ever written with the <laughs> title. Then when I heard it was a Fleetwood Mac song and I listened, it's even more evil and eerie knowing that it was written as a blues song. 
again, it was Peter Green's mental state at the time. And Mick, in his autobiography, said when they recorded it as a single, he says, oh, this is going to flop. No, it went to number one. I guess it was just so unique. It's a really, really, it's an eerie song. Yeah, you listen to the, the, the lyrics are just sick. This is all UK. They did not go to America yet, correct? This is all still in England. Yeah, well, they toured America, but they were still based in England. But they didn't move there yet, right? Right. That happened um, after the first album with Bob Welch. Bob Welch came to England. He's a California boy. Yeah, that's right. And they did their first album, but then he got them to relocate to LA. But it was... Before that, when Danny Kerwin went off the deep end joining that church, that was when they were touring and they were in L.A. because he had all the Harry Krishnas walking around and all these. He just discovered like you know, some group and he just left the band in the middle of a tour. So, uh, yeah, but they hadn't relocated at that point. So Bob Welch talked them into going to California. Well, would you rather stay in the U.K. where it's, you know, cold and drizzly or would you rather <laughs> sunny California? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think it was was. The, the direction that the band were going in, the UK kind of like forgot about, it. like UK didn't really support their change in style. They were, their fans in the UK were just blues fans. So they saw this soft stuff and I think they just said, ah, so yeah, that's where the, the future was for the band. And California has the best cults as we all know. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the, the list goes on. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Luke Colicchio, what have you been listening to? It's Colicchio. <laughs> <laughs> For the vowels. Yes. It's, a, it's a tallow rock, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, well, there's a couple things. Um, one is something, I, is a name I heard uh, through our friend from Knoxville, Scott Minner, who's into electronic music, ambient music, and a whole lot of other stuff. And the guy, well, he died this week. His name was Klaus Schultz. Schultz. Uh, one of the original members of Tangerine Dream. He's a, 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 he's a German-born early electronic music pioneer. I heard Simon's name, and when he texted me the other day, he goes, Klaus Schultz died. I'm like, well, okay, you know, <laughs> Schultzy. <laughs> and it was, so then I, he mentioned all the, you know, the bands and stuff. So I did a little, uh, some listening on him, uh, not totally comprehensive, but two albums in particular I gave some listening to. Um, but uh, he was, it's all synthesizers. You know, this was early electronic music you know uh, brian eno used some of the same instruments though but um i forgot tangerine dream was a german krat rock band i thought mm -hmm. they were i thought they were progress to get them mixed up with um dream theater and things yeah. like that but um he did he released more than 60 albums in his whole career and there was a term i, I just realized i just heard and read it's called cosmic music only it's spelled k-o-s-m-i-s-c-h-e it's just another form of that type of, of ambient music but it, you know, it was all synthesizers, space-related themes. Um, some of the synthesizers used were an EMS VCS3, which I'd never heard of. Uh, Moog synthesizers, the Moog Modular was one of the first ones. And being as I live in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, we have the Moog Fest here. Uh, Robert Moog, uh, Bob Moog, this is where he was based out of here for a long, long time. So we do have the Moog factory. They do tours. And it's all synthesizer stuff. It's really cool. Uh, but he began as a drummer for Tangerine Dream. And... You know, he moved on a lot. You know, a couple of these well-known bands of their time, um, um, Ashrod Tempo. Um, so he left in 71 for a solo career and just put out a whole lot of albums. Um, you know, he, he like put orchestras through all these filters. So it didn't sound like an orchestra. Um, I've not gotten to that stuff yet, but the two records I listened to were um, Cosm oh, no, was, um, Cyborg and a record called Dune. I think Cyborg, I think, came out in 73 and Dune in 79. And 
it's you know for me it's mean music i'm I'm not so much a fan or i don't know much a lot about this i listen to it at times you know sometimes you're chilling out in the car you put these this type of music on but it is really interesting you know and um to describe it it's you know it's ambient it's moody uh it's dramatic there's you know he does use some cellos here and there some electric guitar but it's mostly all synthesized but i didn't realize tangerine dream uh he was well he was the original drummer for tangerine dream uh, but then he was in that band, it looks like for about a year, but he was one of the original people. Um, but he's one of the, the progenitors, the, the founders of, of Krat Rock, as they call it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But, and um, um, I listened yeah. to a couple of his albums. I agree with you. Like, because I, Tom Spallone told me he died. Same thing. I'm like, who? Oh, right, um, right. He was good. I prefer, personally, I prefer Tangerine Dream. They're a little more right. cohesive to me, huh. but I loved what I heard. By the way, the VCS3 instrument um, was used on Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. Roger Waters on the run. It's kind of like a se- early version of a sequencer, and uh, yeah, yep. oscillators. It's got. Um, I, I looked up the list of people who have played this, and it's really long. Ice T has used it. I mean, it, it's it's gone into modern, uh, modern recording, and but a lot. Uh, Brian Eno used it a lot, for most likely, obviously. Um, hmm. but pretty cool. If you look at it, it looks like it's like a little. It looks like a giant, like a flip phone, giant flip phone flipped up. It's really small. It's portable. It was a portable unit. But, uh, you know, Wendy, we should do a little segment on the synthesizer itself, because I don't know a whole lot. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a keyboardist. I'm not a ambient music aficionado. But I mean, think about it. What did it revolutionized music, you know, going that that to the Fairlight, um, which the minute the, the Fairlight just says 1980s. <laughs> Everyone used the Fairlight. Yeah. yeah, the Fairlight music computer or something. Yeah, right? yeah. But w- once I started listening to that music and remembering something that it's they're kind of ambient but they're more of, of a dream pop band but have you guys ever heard of a band called monster movie no have you ever heard of a band called slow dive no okay well slow dive were an, uh, an english one of the early original english uh, shoe uh, shoegaze bands you know that kind of like chimey distorted dreamy guitar like you know staring at their feet you know like i, I think the band in the sopranos was an american attempt to be a shoegaze band when uh, Christopher and Adrian were producing them, if you've seen that. Oh, um, yeah. That was a great episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, so w- when I was working at um, Green Left Grocery way back, someone came up and said, we have a rock, uh, a rock English rock star working at Green Left Grocery. I'm like, well, who? And they said, mention the guy's in Christian Seville. That didn't ring a bell with me. And I said, he was a, he's in a band called Slow Dive. And I, I had heard of him, but did not know the music. Um, so what it was is, you know, he kind of, you know, once he was in Slow Dive, they became a band, Mohav 3. I think you've seen that name. I've it's, heard that. Yeah. yeah. So a Slow Dive became that, Mohav 3, and he left and uh, formed a band called Monster Movie with a keyboardist and vocalist named Sean Hewson. Um, anyway, so once he worked there, you know, <laughs> it's kind of cool. He was a porter. He was like sweeping up and, you know, mopping around. And I got to know him. Um, I was just gone through a divorce and he was going through one. So he would come to me and talk to me, and I gave him some advice about things, which I think he took to heart. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we came, I wouldn't say friends, but casual acquaintances, but I really liked his music. Um, so I got some of the, their CDs. I'll mention a couple in particular. And Guy, Perry, I think you would like some of this stuff. It's real pop, um, but it's, it's got some touch of techno to it, but not enough to like be all techno. Um, well, I'm a fan of craft work, so the old techno is not going to bother me. Okay. Well, it, this is it's modern music, but it's got a touch of synthesized techno. But it's it's got acoustic guitars. There's some drum machines, drums in it. Really great vocals. Um, I really like Christian's voice in particular. Um, mm. So the, the the two records I had I would recommend are Last Night Something Happened 
and Everyone is a Ghost, and three songs in particular I think are standouts. Uh, a Place in the Mountains, which I think he probably wrote when he lived here. <laughs> um, How the Dead Live, and a song called In the Morning. Really great stuff. Um, but it's funny because I, I, I listen to them period- periodically, but once we mentioned this and you know what we've been listening to and some new stuff, and that kind of fell into that category. But I, I told him, I said, Christian, it's pop. He goes, that's what I want to write, Lou. He goes, I want to write good pop. You know, and they did, and they do. They, their last album came out in 2017, I believe. But, uh, okay. that, that, yeah, those were, my, those were my earworms this week. How about you, Perry? Well, can I just say one thing? Wait, oh, hold on. Yeah, Wait. Oh, I tried to do a wine glass tap. It didn't work. Anyway, ah. Six Degrees of Stephen Wilson, um, he remixed the entire Tangerine Dream album uh, catalog. Wow. So, yeah. And also, okay. yeah, he, and also, I think he did um, Klaus Schulte's. Schulte's Probably. Schulte. He did. Um, I, was actually, I want to mention before we started that um, a little bit of a relish recap. I just want to correct. Uh, we were talking about uh, Metallo Rock last week, and I said that Lou Christie sang Runaway. He did not. It was Del Shannon. Uh-huh. And, and remember, I've been talking about uh, synchronicity moments. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last, uh, the, the day after last week's podcast, when you put it up, when you broadcast it, I was listening to it in my car. And you were talking about coincidences and we're talking about the Four Seasons. And yeah, you said, Luke, that's such a coincidence about the Four Seasons. And I'm sitting at a traffic light. This van comes, makes a left in front of me. It's Four Seasons heating and air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, it's out there, man. It, it's in the air and it works. Well, that's, that's just great. <laughs> so, Perry, what's it, what's it been, uh, been for you? Oh, well, um, thanks for asking. Uh, I reconnected with Warren Zevon and Excitable Boy from 1978 and um, Sentimental Hygiene. Cool. Now, I did a lot of things I I didn't know is that, um, you know, he struggled in the early days to to be known. He was a band. He was a band. He's he tore. He was he was like uh, the piano player for the Everly Brothers. Really? In the okay. early 1970s. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. Wow. But it's interesting. His father, right? He's, uh, his father was a uh, Ukrainian Jew. Hmm. And um, hmm. the real name is, is not Zivon. It's like Zivotoski or something. Right. <clears throat> but anyway, his, fa- his father... Um, his father was a bookie, and <laughs> uh, he he had bet he did he, he used to run notorious dice games with Los Angeles mobster Mickey Cohen. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> he, he spent years in the Cohen crime family, and he was known as Stumpy Zevon. <laughs> <laughs> and he never... was best man at Mickey Cohen's first wedding. Wow! Never yeah. read that anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Did Warren keep that under wraps for most of his career? Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> wow. L.A. is L.A. <laughs> that's like well, that's like Woody Harrelson's father being a hitman. You know, you don't you don't bring that up at parties. But his first two <laughs> albums were produced by Jackson Brown. Mm. And you know, oh, of yeah, course, right. uh, the, the album I'm talking about, um, Excitable Boy, had Werewolves of London, Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. That's a loaded album. Is that Perry? Yes. Right now, are you rubbing a pot pot roast on your chest? No. (laughs) You know know that line? From Excitable Boy? Yes. 
<laughs> that's, some strange, that's some strange writing, man. <laughs> he, yeah, it's very sardonic, but uh, he struggled. But Linda Ronstadt is the one that really got him the following because uh, she recorded she recorded an album in '76 called "Hasten Down the Wind," which is one of his songs, and she recorded she recorded a, quite a few Warren Zevon songs: "Poor Pitiful Me," "Carmelita," which is like a Unfortunately, it's like a junkie's lament. Oh, really? Yeah. She recorded Muhammad's radio, Accidentally Like a Martyr, and Hastened Down the Wind. So like a lot of people, you know, some of his stuff, people covered his stuff and kind of got it known for him. Like, you know, Linda Ronstadt recorded Desperado by the Eagles and made it a hit. Yeah. Now, there's the fun, the thing you guys were saying the other day, like this, this, this album, Excitable Boy, it's, it's one of my go-to records. Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner, right? He, Warren Zevon, was struggling in, in his uh, years. So in 1975, he moved to Spain for the summer. He just couldn't deal with it anymore. So he moves to Spain. And he meets a guy in a bar, the guy who ran a bar. And this guy was, used to be a mercenary hmm. named David Lindell. He had a small tavern in Barcelona, and together they wrote Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. Huh. Of course, the song is about a uh, mercenary and uh, those kind of things. So I, I thought that was pretty weird. And uh, he, you know, he's recorded and performed covers. He's, he's done a lot of cover songs, too. He did Knocking on Heaven's Door. He did a Al Toussaint song called, you know, uh, A Certain Girl. He recorded Stevie Winwood's Back in the High Life again. And, of course, we all know he recorded Raspberry Beret. Yeah, right. With, uh, with the boys from R.E.M. Right? Yep. Yep. And I, I forgot he did A Certain Girl. Um, and I forgot that was an Alan Toussaint song. Uh, that song's been covered a few times. It's a great song. Absolutely. There's a certain girl yeah. I've been in love with. What's her name? Yep. I can't tell you. So, but the thing is, you you guys were talking about this compression, yeah, you know, in the coke years or whatever, maybe. And I'm not claiming <laughs> anything, but you know, the the album "Excitable Boy" was produced by Jackson Brown and Waddy Wachell, mm. and it's very compressed. It oh, sounds yeah. very small. It sounds like the long run. It sounds like Hotel California, not music wise, but production wise. In that sense, where like no matter how high you turn it up, it still sounds very small. Yeah. And of course, they're great songs. So, it, you know, it, to me, you know, a great song is a great song. But I found it interesting to me that you guys, you know, were talking about that. Yeah. And, well, I mean, that, that's like the mid 70s. I think also I mean, with, with drums, I, I think that was that that thing for whatever the reason was was to have this uh you know this really dead dead sound yeah 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 so so i have a connection to what you guys were talking about before so this in the summer of 1975 he moved to spain he came back in like september 1975 he he returned to la his roommates were stevie nicks and lindsey buckingham (laughs) wow Wow. And, he, and, uh, and Jackson Brown produced and promoted his self-titled major label debut in 1976. People on the record who contributed to the record were 
Knicks, Buckingham, McFleetwood, John McVie, members of the Eagles, Carl Wilson, Linda Ronstadt, Bonnie Raitt. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And, well, uh, yeah, you know, so, hey, Perry, yeah. I just had a wake-up moment. I don't want to step on your toes, but do you know who the rhythm section on Werewolves of London was? Yes, I do. Just lay it on me. I just had one of those. I had a Jim Mignantowski moment. Whoa. Russ, Russ Kunkel? Nope. Perry? Werewolves of London. Mick Fleetwood and John McVeigh. Yes. Really? That that shocked me. I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, and Waddy Wachell. Of course, well, we know Waddy Wachell is the guitar player on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, Waddy Wachell produced the uh, the Church of Starfish album, which I I thought was so weird. Like Mr. Mellow Mafia producing this English kind of they're kind of a, they got some prog tendencies. Uh, the Church. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. That's another great band. Yeah. And I see, by the way, uh, Leland Sklar plays bass on two songs yeah. on this album. Johnny strikes up the band and accidentally like a martyr. Good yeah. lineup on that album. And, and uh, of course, as Lou, you know, he had a side project. Well, actually, apparently, R.E.M. had a side project first. What was the side project called that they did with Warren Zevon, Lou? The uh, Hindu Love Gods. The Hindu Love Gods. Well, they were they were Hindu Love Guards in the eighties, before they worked with Warren Zevon. It was just hmm. you know, pretty much some of the guys from Marianne and another friend of theirs. Oh wow, okay. Love Gods, but when they did it with uh, Warren Zevon, that's when they, um, that's when they really had some success. Yeah. Now on sentimental hygiene, that's not. They're not on the whole record, but don't they play on a couple songs? Don't they play on the song Sentimental Hygiene? Isn't that R.E.M.? Well, well, um, it's Bill, Bill Barry. is pretty much the drummer on the whole record. Excellent. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of guests on, on the record also. Yeah. Brian Setzer plays guitar on one of the songs. And, um, but, you know, it, I mean, it pretty much it was Bill Berry, Peter Buck, and Mike Mills. And, and of course, you can hear Michael Stipe singing back up on, say, Bad Karma. Yeah. Bad Karma. You can actually hear him. But other people on the record were, uh, in fact, the song Sentimental Hygiene, Neil Young does the guitar solo on that song. Hmm. Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Bob Dylan even uh, appeared on it for something. Brian Setzer, Flea. George Clinton and uh, Waddy Wachell and his uh, his dear friend uh, George Calderon, Jorge Calderon. Right, right. Yeah. Who else could get this lineup on an album? Who the hell else? This is amazing. Yeah. yeah. And and so of course we know he he um, somehow contracted mesothelioma, and yep. he, he was Dave Letterman and him were became great friends. And the last song he ever played live was Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner on the Dave Letterman show in 2003. Wow. Yep. Was that when he was? Was he on the whole show? Uh, Well, I don't know that he was on the whole show, but during that show, yes, I think he may have been on the whole show, but when he died, that day, the uh, Paul Schaefer and the band played nothing but Warren Zevon songs for the whole yeah. day, for the whole that's, show. 
that that's cool yeah and apparently i i seem to remember hearing too that when he died bruce springsteen was doing a show somewhere and he played a warren zevon song yes he did Bob dylan was on tour he played a he played a warren zevon song and so on and so on and you, you know what else happened that day what um i i I got up to Maine uh, two or three times in one year, and that was in 2003. And I was he died in September 7, 2003. Yeah, that was, I got up early that morning. I left to drive. I was taking a solo drive up to Maine, up to Bar Harbor. When I got up that morning, I put on the, the TV and I found that he died. And that was the day he died. I, I drove up to Maine that day, but I remember that it, it was it was sad, you know. Um, his appearance on Letterman, you know, the guy he had that that sense of humor never left him. <laughs> um, you know, he basically said he's like. That sense of humor absolutely never left him because on his last album he had a song called "My Shit's Fucked Up." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but he said he hadn't seen a doctor in twenty years. He goes, that might have been not been the best tactical maneuver, but you know, but you know, yeah, yeah. But, but, but his, you know, Letterman asked him if he have anything you'd like to say to the folks, and this is one of my favorite quotes, and I do use it a lot. Enjoy every sandwich. Enjoy every sandwich. Yeah, and and yeah. Y- yeah. <clears throat> so that's that's where I was. That's what I've been listening to. Uh, what about you, Lou? I know you listen to a lot of music in the car. Yeah, I, I, I live in my car, like a lot of commuting single parents. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, this actually the last couple of days on XM have been garbage. Nothing I've liked. But it's one thing I, I did hear, and it, it's one of these bands. Like I, I've always I known who they are, and I was you know, the front man. I was getting mixed up with another front man with the same last name at the same time. So I heard the song the other day. I'm like, who the hell is this? I like it. And the song is called Alone Again or do you guys know who it is? No. It's by yeah. the band it's by the band Love. Oh. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I sh- I'm supposed to know everything about Love. My son-in-law worships at the altar of love. Does he really? <laughs> well, you know, Mark, yeah. it, it's one of those bands where I'm like, I know them, I didn't know them. It's like Spirit. A lot of people are like, who the hell is Spirit? But you know those three key songs that were all, you know, were all over the radio. Yeah. Um, Alone Again, or it's got trumpet in it. It's very LA. It's very almost San Francisco. It's got that, it's a California sound. Not that was their one big hit, I think. Yeah, it's a great song. They, they, well, they, they, had, uh, they had three hits. Uh-huh. Um, that, that's the one I know the, the best. It's got the trumpet in it. Da, da, da. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I can't play it. Perry, you've known the song. You have definitely heard this song. I probably it's, have. Yeah. It, it's not like you know Rodriguez. And What's it called? That, uh, well, the Alone called, Again Or. Yeah. Uh, uh, the song's called Alone Again Or. It's from a uh, the album called Forever Changes. Uh, came yeah. out in 1967. Now, if you look up Love and Forever Changes in 19, that's one of the most. It's called one of the most influential rock albums ever made. It's like everyone loved it. The Stones sought them out. Yeah. Uh, uh, when when the door signed with Electra, Jim Morrison, his quote was, "I just want to be as big as Love." But the main guy and songwriter in Love was a guy named Albert Lee, and I was always getting mixed up with Alvin Lee of Ten Years After. It's the same yes. era. Um, so uh, I think Albert Albert Lee, I believe, was African American. So you know, he, he was, but he wrote surf music. You know, he wasn't writing soul. He had a soul side, but he was a rock and roll musician writing rock and roll songs. Uh, he produced some stuff in. I also noticed how Jimi Hendrix was on a lot of sessions. I like to hear this stuff that he was on. You know, um, I never knew he popped up on some early recordings by Albert. Thinking Lee. about making Kajabi your all-in-one monetization platform? It's- Uh-oh, Perry's got YouTube going. <laughs> Is that what that was? <laughs> well, Sorry. I, was, I was trying to find that song. 
Uh, it's a great. You'll know it when you hear it, Perry. It's it's one of the. It's a perfect song. It's like it, it just slows. And by the way, yeah. it's Arthur Lee. Arthur Lee, not Albert Lee. Arthur Lee. Yeah, Are and he's sure? got. Yeah, Arthur Lee, and he's got he, the one love album he got Jimi Hendrix to play on. Right. Yeah, I don't know if it was the yeah. first one or not. No, it was after it was like seventy or seventy one, like okay that time. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, Jimi Hendrix loved that band. Well, now the other song really? we know, um, they all, they also did uh, my little red book. That was a Burt Bacharach, Hal David song. I just can't get the I just can't get over you. I remember that. Yeah, that's Burt. That's Burt Bacharach and Hal David, and Bacharach didn't like it apparently. Uh, they, they made some changes to it, you know, but um. Yeah, that, that that's right. But um, I'm trying to think of of Alone Again or it's da, 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 da. but now they have another. The first hit was called Seven and Seven Is, and I can't hum it. I I don't. I I've heard it, but I I don't know it though. But it was just something I I did a brief little look up on him, and it's Arthur Lee. Okay, see, I can't. I couldn't get his name right. Yeah, me too. I always get it wrong. I I have a, like I said, I someone in the family that drilled that name into me. So <laughs> well, I, I was reading it, and my mind's eye drilled Albert Lee into my head. <clears throat> but uh. Albert Lee was a British guitarist who had the country twang sound. He played for uh, Eric Clapton. Was that country Alvin boy? Lee? Was that, yeah, that's was that Albert Al- Lee. Wait, what about Alvin? <laughs> Alvin Lee was 10 years after. Albert <laughs> Lee was, he, he actually came from the Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton whole. He was part of that group, but he was, he was even back in the 60s, he played country music. And uh, so he joined Clapton in the seventies with his band and great player, chicken picking and all that. I know it's a pain in the ass. All the Lees, Alvin Lee, Albert yeah. Lee. <laughs> well, I've uh, never, I've never heard the song, but I have a sample of it here. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Very nice song. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh yeah! This is the song. Yeah, that's a it's, great song, right? It's the golden moment of enlightenment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is from a two fifteen re- twenty fifteen remaster. Uh, it's one of those things. I always wonder, like, who is love? I, you know, were they quick silver messenger service? I'm you glad know? you mentioned that because I've heard that song quite a few times and never knew who it was. L- listen to the album. The album, Perry. The album's great. I listen. I'm going to it give it a listen. I, I just found it. I'm going to give it a listen. Yeah. It's by it's by a guy named Oscar Lee, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, Lou, Arthur, you know, the, the late Arthur Lee. He did jail time. You know, he did some. Uh, yeah. He he ran afoul of the law for a while, and uh, two guys in the band also apparently they would. Uh, I think John Echolace, uh, the guitar player, who's actually still alive, um, you know, they were selling the equipment, the rented equipment and buying drugs with it. You know, they kind of fell into some weird times. Uh, yeah. Those were the times, the late 60s. They, they lived communally in a, a communal house, you know, really neat. like the monkeys. <clears throat> yep. And you know who produced them? Bruce Botnick, Doors. Oh, okay. Bruce yeah, Botnick? Uh, I thought that was Paul Rothschild. Uh... So does Bruce Botnick. You could be. Well, I think Bruce Botnick may have been the engineer while Rothschild was a producer back then. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, and they both were with the doors anyway. So, right. Well, yeah. That's a great song, Lou. I'm glad you, I'm glad you called that. I'm going to leave it a listen. Yeah. I, I listen, the album is really cool. It's got a great groove. The, the drummer on it apparently uh, didn't consider himself much of a drummer, but yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it all works, but um. Yeah, he was an interesting um, musician, Arthur Lee. 
um, who was the president? Was it Jack Holtzman? Was the, mm-hmm. I guess they were on Electra. Uh, he believed in his talent, you know. So, so through some of these ups and downs, you know, he kind of stuck with him because that's what you could do back then. You could stick with an artist through five albums before you dump him, you know, because they didn't make any money. Same label as the Doors, right? Yeah, yeah. Was that Crystal? Well, that was Electra, I think. Electra, yeah. But what I heard about what I heard about Arthur Lee was he had a big ego because he came out of the gate so big and. Uh, one of his downfalls was nobody could tell him what to do. And uh, really? that's kind of the reason why they, they lost it, too. Um, you couldn't you, know, you couldn't tell him he was going to do what he wanted to do. It's a shame because he really was prolific. He was. Great. Yeah. Uh, his voice has been compared to Johnny Mathis. OK. I Not see it. Mattress. Yeah. 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 Well, that was a good one. Now, I, I wonder I wonder if like say because, you know, this album came out when we were, you know, Mark, you weren't born, but, you know, we were children. Yeah. Uh, I, I was wondering what I would have liked if I was, like, 18 back then. Like, well, what would I have gravitated toward? Because, you know, I heard, we heard this music, not quite secondhand, but, you know, we heard it as youngsters, like, you know, what, what made my older brothers, like, my older brother loved the Doors, you know. But yeah. I mean, it's probably the same thing. It's probably no different. But, you know, like, to, to be 18 and to be buying, like, Love Record in 67 would be you know, cool, you know. Well, yeah. you know, back back then, I don't know, like, you, so you didn't see them. You only heard them. But I guess looking at the album, looking at the pictures, looking at the liner notes, that made me like, yeah, these guys are cool. Yeah. But I'm sure, the, like, this song, this song you just pointed out, the melody is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. The melody is fantastic. And the guitar players were, you know, they're considered very good, but the musicians weren't known, I think. Uh, the guys, listen, the Echolese, I think you know, he be- after he cleaned up, you know, because, you know, he had to sober up and get off drugs. Um, you know, he became a well-known session player. But, you know, there's still like the love band going on. Um, Arthur Lee died in like, the late 90s of leukemia. But, you know, they, they put that in, you know, they were like the love band. But they did like some tributes and uh, benefits to raise money for his treatments. But well, I, I, I think he did. Thought, yeah. I, for all these years, I thought that was the Moody Blues singing that song. Yeah, why not? Absolutely. I thought when yeah. you listen to the album, I thought some of the same things, but without the pomposity and without the well, you know, without, without that, you know, that pomposity. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. I like I, I, I like I, some I Moody just, Blues stuff actually. I always assumed it was the Moody Blues. Now I know it's a group called Love. 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 And something tells me that song had to have been used in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Doesn't it sound like something? Absolutely. I don't know if it, I don't think it has, but I'm <laughs> well, that. And he wants to retire Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. What? <laughs> he only wants to make 10 movies. And he said, that's it. Huh. Yeah. But he was on Mark Barron and he said, now I'm not retiring. So I, who knows what this guy's going to do. <laughs> so what, what makes that, what makes that song for me is the trumpet. Yeah. When, yeah. Once that trumpet comes in, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Hook, line, and sinker on that. Absolutely, I, I, love, I love the trumpet anyway. Um, and th- and that era too in the late sixties. Um, you know the trumpet was a pretty cool featured instrument. You know there was uh, grazing in the grass. Uh, Hugh Masakella, yeah, South African trumpeter. He's the trumpet player on "So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star" by the Birds. Oh, and uh, here's a little trivia: a trumpeter is the only survivor of the crash that took Otis Redding down. Mm. Wow, <laughs> that's right. You you've yeah. spoken of that in the past. I, I love these morbid rock and roll stories. We could do a whole <laughs> show on that too, you know. Well, I, I wanted to Dark. talk about a I, uh, a drummer. Oh, I love this, Barry. I a drummer. 
Have you ever heard of a drummer called his nickname was Panama Francis? <laughs> Don't do this to me. His his name is David Francis. Nickname From was where? Pan- well, I had to do this research, and I'll tell you why. This guy has played on. He's he's played through the fifties, right? Huh. This guy, he's gone now. He lived to be an old man, though I think he lived to be in his eighties. He played in nineteen fifty five on the platters only you oh cool and he played on another one by them called the great pretender right wow yeah yeah he played on screaming jay hawkins i put a spell on you he was the drummer oh this is cool man wow yeah yep um the, the, that's a great screaming jay hawkins version. that's amazing those videos are terrifying yes they're absolutely terrifying they're so cool man no <laughs> no this guy this, so, i never heard of the guy but i just no. a, i found out so he played on splish splash by bobby darren wow yep so he i'm sorry he definitely knew earl palmer because he's another guy you know he's one of the wrecking crew. probably yeah but the, these he, guys were the earlier they were the earliest rock and roll drummers well he he played on 1959. He played on uh, Dinah Washington. What a difference a day makes. Remember okay. that one? Yeah, sure. Now, here, here's a good one. 1961. He played drums on Run Around Sue by Dion. Oh, wow. Tower Rock. <laughs> yep. Well, here it gets better, Lou. He's the guy. 62 and 63. He played drums on Big Girls Don't Cry and Walk Like a Man. No, what what prompted you to start looking at? How'd you? This is great because I don't. I mentioned I don't know who those drummers are for the Four Seasons, well, but probably, you know, the, the drumming is the, the sound of the drums. They were, these records were produced really well. Bob Crew was a great producer, but the drumming <laughs> on some of those songs—if you just listen to the drumming alone, whether you like the music or not—the drumming is really good. Well, what what prompted me was the Italo Rock episode last week, <laughs> and we were joking about who the drummer was because you said that you know. Who are these drummers? Yeah. So I did the research and I found out who the guy was. In in 61, he played on uh, Big Girls Don't Cry. In 63, he played on Walk Like a Man. But he played, and I found out he played on all these other fabulous hits. He played on Calendar Girl by Neil Sedaka. Wow. Okay. He drummer. He played on one of my favorite songs, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. What's that? He played on one of my favorite songs, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. He played on Platter's songs. I mean, yeah, 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 that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I've been listening to some '50s rock uh, lately too, in the car. Um, well, there's some great, there's some great stuff on there. You know, it just, it, it's it's a weird period because a lot of it, I, I kind of, I say I don't like, but if you listen to some of the, like the vocal arrangements, are amazing. And yeah. and "Run Around Sue" by Dion, mm-hmm. that's a rocking song. That's a rock and roll song, man. And his yeah. voice kicks ass yeah. on that song. And the, the drumming is so. Listen to what you're saying about this. What's his name again? His name is Panama Francis. Panama Francis. Uh, he's, his snare drum work is great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you, you know, you know, it's amazing. I'm just I'm reading up on him is that this guy started his career in the 30s. So he was playing in the 30s. Uh, I played with Roy Eldridge and all this, you know, then he hooked into this in the 60s. I mean, he lived to 2001. That guy led a huge life. Yeah, and, and he played, he toured with a lot of jazz greats, like maybe Cab Calloway even, I think he toured, or, you know, people like that. Mm. Am I wrong, Mark? Are you looking yeah, at Yeah, no, it? you're right. You're right. I wonder what he... Yeah. He was in three short films with Cab Calloway, Willie Bryant, and Savoy Ballroom, which means check out Turner Classic Movies. You might see him in a movie. Yeah. 
now the, the, for these kind of players to make the transition to rock and roll. Now, some of them had an open mind about it. I think Earl Palmer, reading about him, he had an open mind about it. Like, I wonder if it was kind of begrudging me, you know, because given the nature of what the music was and, you know, the musicians that were potentially going to be, you know, cast aside, you know, like I said, if you were smart, you jumped on board. You know, if you had some vision, uh, you jumped, especially if, you know, you had to you know, make a living doing it. But, you know, that, that's an interesting jump from Cab Calloway to Dion, you know, not, yeah. just, not just an example of the man's obvious talent, but. That's that's a that's a wide wide scope there. Well, you know, it's true. Like a lot of the original jazz artists thumb their nose at stuff like Run Around Sue and and oh. even R and B, basic R and B. This guy adopted. He's like, look, I'm going to play it, and he had a great career. And by playing it, they helped invent the form. Yeah, or, or, and when you Earl Palmer, like and this guy too, they they probably ever. I mean, you you know, they knew each other. I mean, they had to. How could they not? But um, mm-hmm. you know what they did. You know that that's that's type of drumming those type of beats weren't really done before so you know they so they're just as original you know, like i said they're in on, on the ground floor of that as well so whether they're snobby about it or not i mean some of them laid the groundwork for it yeah the, re- the rest of us mortal drummers just only aspire to and right. he's, list- he's listed as a swing jazz drummer mm-hmm. huh. but yeah he's played on so many things but like that that song run around sue i like that song i've always liked that song but the fact that it's like a rock and roll song, but it still has hints of doo-wop in it. Oh, yeah. That transitional period, sort of. Right. It, it's got more, it's more of a rock feel, rock beat. It was 1961. Yeah. Run Around Sue was 61. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And it was just Dion. No Belmonts or whatever. It's just Dion. Yeah. And it, well, it just, this guy was born in 1918. So by 1928, he was learning music and then by 19 you know it's like wow you know what a what a he encompassed such a large swath of music history yeah yeah like like i said he's you know you can you they have they have his discography on all these things that he's played on and uh so i guess they called him panama because he was known for wearing a panama hat right we i guess his parents were from the caribbean or, or something like that his father was haitian and his mother came from uh the Bahamas, yeah, yeah Caribbean, yeah. yeah. That's a cool name. It is. I, 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 yeah. I want to be Swananoalu. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, you want to you that, when you call you that. When you said when you said Panama on. Francis, I was thinking of Panama Red. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, he's played with Cab Calloway and Solomon Burke and wow. Ray Conniff, even. I mean. Like, Big Joe Turner. Now, is this before the Ray? Was this with the Ray Conniff singers? <laughs> what does it say here about Ray Conniff? Uh, Ray Conniff, um, nineteen fifty-eight. Ray Conniff, awful nice. I guess that's an album. Then there's Ray Conniff concert in stereo. I guess he was the drummer in nineteen seventy for the live thing. Ray Conniff live in Japan, nineteen seventy-five. So he was probably the drummer for the live live gig. Hmm. Oh, he played on Walk Like a Man. Yep. Yeah, that's like I said, that's how I originally started researching him was to find out who the drummer was on these uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons uh, Italo rock hits. And, you know, the drumming on some of those songs, given the time period and the production value, the drumming, it's kind of hard hitting on some of those. I've been hearing some of them lately. And, you know, the snare drum, if you listen to it, especially on Walk Like a Man, it's, it's a pretty hard hit. Mm hmm. Sounds really good in a big, uh, 
big convertible uh, Cadillac driving down the street. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, well, you convert and and then, and then and then you run out of gas. And when, you run, <laughs> yeah, when you run out of gas, you, go, you slowly put your arm around her shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and you get punched in the eye. <laughs> Not oh, now, Louie. On... He played. He played on Split Splash. Damn. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, wow. Oh, here's another correction. And, uh, you mentioned that's Bobby Darren, correct? No, that's yeah. Posse Weber. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, on last week's show, I said that uh, Bobby Darren sang um, Goodbye Crew World. It was James Darren. That's an honest um, mistake, Lou. That's an honest mistake. No, it's a terrible mistake. I, I, I wouldn't I would want to claim that stupid song for myself. <laughs> But that's part of the that's part of the area when when American rock white rock and roll was in the dumps, which made those English bands just we're over here, we're coming over. Here comes the flotilla, you know. Well, Bob Crew, the producer for the Four Seasons, lived to be uh, he lived to be an old man. He lived to be eighty three. Died in Maine. He was uh, he was born in Newark, New Jersey, pretty much like the Four Seasons were, right? Yeah. Now was his last name really Crew? Um, uh, Robert Stanley Crew. He was an American songwriter, dancer, singer, manager, and record producer. I, I guess he wasn't a Dago then, was he? He's mostly known for co-writing with Bob Godio. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He, a string of top ten singles with the Four Seasons. Hmm. And I think, well, yeah, even in the Frankie Valley stuff, I think, or was that just Bob Godio? That's not Bob Crew and, like, My Eyes Adored You. Uh, I th- <laughs> I think they still co-wrote that, yeah. Wow, wow. He was and, raised uh, in Belleville, New Jersey. So I, uh, now Bob Gaudio was from Bergenfield. I wonder if he knew any guys from the Knickerbocker, Knickerbockers. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> for everyone out there in TV land, the Knickerbockers had there were maybe I think they were a two-hit wonder actually. Uh, the the song "Lies" that we said sounds like the Beatles, but they were from Knickerbocker Avenue, and that was Bergenfield, wasn't it? Probably Bergenfield, New Jersey. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, so that's that's around the same era. So that's, I mean, Bergenfield's a small town. That's, I wonder if they uh, they ever hung out, you know. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, you know what? Some of them are still alive. We're going to ask them. Let's uh, let's let's find out. Let's go for a road trip. Come on, I, I could go for I could go for a road trip. drive 700 miles for that road trip, man. <laughs> I, I could go to uh, Bill, Bill Simzik's house. He lives. <laughs> <laughs> Is he still doing coke though? Oh, oh, <laughs> no, he's he's retired. Yeah. Um, apparently, um, I was I was reading something about, about Bill Simzik when the, the Eagles recorded. I guess it was Hotel California. Uh, they recorded half in Los Angeles and half at Criteria in Miami. Yeah. It was at the long run. But Bill Simzik, he, he was living on an earthquake fault, earthquake fault, and had been in an earthquake and didn't want to record. He wanted to record in Florida. Oh. <laughs> Let me... I feel I feel sorry for the guy because I read a book on the Eagles and I read what he went through and I truly felt sorry for him. He he was he was handling a circus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Hey, listen, before it, I have a huge, huge correction to make. I was rightfully corrected by Tom Spallone, Pe- uh Lou, when you talked about uh, the Rascals and you said Groovin' and I thought it was the song that Huey Lewis covered. Right. Now, I made a huge mistake and and I really shouldn't have because. Groovin, uh, cruising 
it's cruising, not grooving. And it was a Smokey Robinson song. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm so pissed at myself because uh, Smokey is my favorite Motown artist. I'm like, how oh, did cool. I do that? So I got I got rightfully slayed. By <laughs> yeah. you've, been, you've been chagrined. Um, oh God! <laughs> a, a cruising. That, that's a latter day. That's a later day. Um, a smoky hit. It's a great song. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what a great chorus. Yeah. Do you? I just wanted to go on about Bob Crew a little bit more. Yeah. Do you know that he co-wrote "Lady Marmalade"? Yes. With Kenny wow. Nolan. Yep. Kenny Nolan. Who was that guy? He had a hit of his own, didn't he? Uh, yes, he did. And you know what it was? <laughs> I sung it to I sung it to the guy Ken Nolan. Um, we used to work. Oh. I like dreaming. Yes, dreaming that was the guy. Mine. That's him. <laughs> that was. It's in the e, number four in the easy listening chart. <laughs> now, Mark uh, Perry and I worked with a guy named Ken Nolan when we worked in his graphics place. Now, I never knew the name of the guy that did the song. So, I, every once in a while, I'll, I'll randomly pull out one of those cheesy songs to see if someone vomits. You know. <laughs> so one day, apparently, we're working in this big grass. Wait, was it the same Kenny Nolan, Perry? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was. He hiding? You know? No. <laughs> so I think they're what a different the hell generation. Yeah. Did you guys hear that? What's that? Repeat. You kind of faded out. No, I, I had a phone call cut in out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, <laughs> better not be Tom Spallone saying Mark got that wrong. <laughs> oh my God. What, what was that going on about? Uh, you were talking about Kenny Nolan, the graphics place. Oh, yeah. So I started singing that, that schlubby song and he got on my face and started screaming at me. I was just like going, F you, <laughs> F you. I'm like, whoa, what's the matter? He goes, I got the same name as that guy. <laughs> Well, this this guy Bob Crew had hit records with Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, Freddie Boom Boom Cannon, Leslie he's, Gore, he's Welcome Back Carter, Bobby Darren, Roberta Flack, Peebo Bryson. Wow, that's a great name, Peebo yeah, Bryson. <laughs> he, he, he was a he was a modern day soul man. Yeah, Patty Patty Labelle and Barry Manilow. Oh, he so wrote "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You." And I guess I got on that subject because we were talking about the drummer who was on the Four Seasons, yeah. Panama Francis. So uh, sorry about that little. Uh, I went to left field, so let's get back to no, uh, no, that's because he wrote "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You." That's like one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. No, did the Panama, the Panama Jack, whatever guys didn't play on that. Panama Francis. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Uh, no, we, he we, didn't we, play. We, he we, wasn't the drummer on all of them, but he was on a couple of those big hits. He was the drummer. Which version is better, Frankie Valley's "My Eyes Adored You" or the or the pharmacist from the Deer Hunter? Which version is better? <laughs> the Deer Hunter. Yeah, I, I think so too. <laughs> there are no good Frankie Valley songs, guys. Oh, come on! Oh, come on! Please, Grease. And oddly enough, Greece is he's great. some years old and he's still touring. Because of that movie, when he, you know, like when he he he, uh, he vouched for the guy Tony in the band, so the guy told him you'll be touring the rest of your life. <laughs> what movie is this? Are you talking about Jersey Boys? Yeah. He vouched for Tommy, who was you know losing all the money, or oh, yeah, well, yeah, sorry, yeah, Tommy, or, uh, Tommy DeVito was he was either gambling or money. Or, or no, he was in debt. He had mob debts. Yeah, that was it. Yep. 
And then Nick Massey quit the band, and that was it for him as a bass player. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Tommy DeVito ended up dying of AIDS. He was like 93, 94. You know, he dies, uh, not AIDS, uh, COVID. Um, yeah, he died a couple years ago. Wow. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Listen, listen. In the 70s, there was nothing cooler than seeing the opening to Greece with the animation and hearing that song. Because my sister took me to see Greece, and I'm like, this is cool. This is cool. It was great. Oh, so I got to tell you, I heard a, I heard a cut from Wilco's new album. Really? Oh yeah, it's countrified. Is that the advanced the advanced cut? I found it up on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 a real, it's a real countrified uh, record. Yep. Did you like it? I did like it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'll I check like it out. It, yeah. I'll check it out because you know, like I said. Some of these bands we've been talking about, like I, we, I, we're kind of revisiting because, you know, Wilco, like, I kind of fell off the radar a bit with them up until a certain point. But, you know, the kind of the, the Americana singer songwriter thing, I, I'm kind of putting off to the side for a while because I think I kind of saturated on it. So, you know, I've been looking for other, like I said, other obscure things, just maybe more like harder rock oriented, actually. But then some of this late 60s stuff is interesting. You got you, now, have you seen that documentary about Rodriguez, the singer songwriter? No, I've heard about it. Okay, it's, it's another one. You've heard that you've heard his songs, and they're very similar in a lot of ways to Love in that respect, in that kind of instrumentation. But you didn't know who he was till you read about the guy. You know, he was. I won't go too far into it, but you know, he was very reclusive. You know, they only did a couple albums, and but he was influential. When these people, like everyone knows him, everyone, well, these musicians have his record. You know, Rodriguez, and it, maybe we should like expand upon it at another time, but. Uh, definitely in that same vein, you know, an enigmatic singer-songwriter uh, like Hearth Martinez. He's another L.A. guy. Like Robbie Robertson produced him. And, you know, the guy wrote songs about UFOs and all kinds of crazy stuff that, you know, a very select audience would want to hear. But yeah, that's something yeah. Robbie doesn't talk about. You know, his album was called Hearth from Earth. But, you know, <laughs> there, there were these L.A. late 60s, early 70s kind of eccentric singer-songwriters that had style, though. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was such an explosion of styles. You had you had pop going into you had the seeds of progressive music. You had the seeds of uh, well, Led Zeppelin, that hard rock blues sound, Led Zeppelin, Humble Pie. So you had all this music ready to explode. And when you had all these different styles, there was bound to be some really good stuff that just didn't make it, and it got crushed. And um, those like Rodriguez, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. yeah, it didn't make it. Doesn't mean it wasn't as good as the other stuff. But man, when 1970 hit, bang, all this stuff just exploded. But some yeah. went by the way. Said, but getting back, let me just say with Wilco, I'm I'm all in. As Perry knows this, I don't care what direction Wilco going. I'm all for this new direction because every Wilco album that comes out, I'm like, bring it on, bring it on. This is great. I well, that, I think that, it's gonna sound good. Thing, yeah. Is that they yeah. just keep evolving? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a lot of the stuff we've heard, I've heard, just didn't know it was off whatever record. Um, that uh, those uh, other basement tapes with um Marcus Mumford, that one song you were talking about, I heard that. I've I've heard a lot of that stuff. I didn't know it was from that record. Um, Great it's funny stuff. because I'm I'm not being that the biggest fan of uh, Mumford and Son. When I heard him singing on that, I, I liked it. I liked that, the music behind it. Um, yeah. I, I didn't like Mumford and Sons at all until I started hearing like all these musicians that I really like, like really like Marcus Mumford. And I'm like, really? So I gave yeah. him a second chance and I'm like, all right, 
I get it's maybe I didn't like Mumford and Son, but he is a good artist. He really oh, is. Oh sure. You know, you yeah. didn't do stuff with Elvis Costello. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I like those little collaborative things. Yeah. So, so I, you know, just as far as the Wilco thing, do you know? Do you know that Jay Bennett sued Jeff Tweedy? Yeah. For breach of contract. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, in two thousand nine, he sued Jeff Tweedy for breach of contract stemming from his work with Wilco. Uh, and this, uh, he then he, uh, Jay Bennett revealed that he needed a hip replacement surgery, and he couldn't afford it because he didn't have uh, his health insurance. And so I don't know if it was kind of like this Prince thing or whatever with the pain. Well, anyway, he died from fentanyl. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it was, back it was in two thousand nine. Jay Bennett died in two thousand. Uh, he died from fentanyl. Yeah. Well, you know as from someone that just like my introduction to Woco was that movie. I'm trying to break your heart. Yeah. To me, like Jay Bennett was really trying to take over the band, wasn't he? Well, I apparently there were issues because, you know, Jim O'Rourke was the uh, producer and mixer. And apparently Jim O'Rourke does not like too many people around while he's working. Hmm. And of course, you we all know that Jay Bennett was one of these guys who's always there for everything. Yeah. And so, you know, Jeff Tweedy kind of told, uh, you know, um, told him that, you know, Jim doesn't like too many people around while he's mixing. And, you know, I guess he took offense to it or, you know, whatever. But, you know, that's just the way Jim O'Rourke works. Yeah. He doesn't like, you know, 12 people standing around while he's trying to mix a record. Or offering opinions. Now, I think there was a time when Jay Bennett was needed to do that in Wilco. I bet you around the time of like being there, you know, there's a big jump from AM to being there. And yeah. Jay Bennett was probably a huge part of that. It's just to what extent could he exert what kind of control he wanted over the songs that he didn't write, you know? Mm. Mm. But, you know, I think, yeah. I think a lot of that sound and being there is one of my favorite records. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I, it, I haven't listened to it in a long time, but when I do, I mean, that definitely pulls at that pulls at my strings a little bit, you know. I just moved to the country in upstate New York when that record came out. And I remember just saying, well, I was living up there in Warwick, New York. I'm like, wow, this is like the perfect soundtrack for for this area. Just that whole sound, you know. But yeah. Um, yeah, but it seems like once, you know, the band got after that, you know, maybe he went a little too far. Like he said, maybe trying to control the band or maybe take over how it was sound and produced, but. I had a feeling he probably had to do that at one point, which is why well, he was it, doing it. I, I, he was, but so it says here, it says Jeff Tweedy invited Jim O'Rourke to remix I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. And the results impressed the band. The band was loved it. Even Jay Bennett loved it. But he says yeah. tensions grew between Bennett and O'Rourke because Bennett wanted to play a more integral part regarding the mixing of the album. O'Rourke, you know, he that he doesn't work that way. He cut the contributions of the other musicians on several other songs, such as Poor Places, only featured like, you know, Tweedy, O'Rourke, and Glenn the drummer. Mm. Bennett claimed he contributed organ, guitars, noise to Poor Places, so I guess that was part of the lawsuit also. And I don't know what became of it, but uh, I have, you know, I have the, uh, the Bennett and Burke solo album Bennett and Birch, yeah, called the Palace at 4 a.m. It's actually a really good record. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Do you hear any similarities, or uh, do they cover? Don't they cover a, a, li- of- a little bit, but not really. But oh, then no. again, any similarities is because you know Jay Bennett plays keyboards in a certain way yeah. too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to say something in defense of O'Rourke because I totally get where O'Rourke was coming from that he mixes alone because mastering is nothing like mixing. Mixing is the, that's that's an art. I I could never got it, but I was you know when I mastered. I didn't want if I I preferred not to have the artist in the room at all. If the artist wanted to be in there, fine. I had a band that recorded um, a shitty sounding demo. Shitty. I mean, it just you know, and they thought that the mastering engineer could make it all sound good. The whole band came in the room. Unfortunately, none of them were hygienically. Um, they stunk. Uh, you know, and so this was this was literally what I got. I put on a quarter inch tape. and then the guitar player interrupts and goes i want this to sound like this and he shoves in my hand slippery when wet from uh from bon Bon jovi Jovi. right and i'm like i'm i'm figuring how can i tell him that the shitty sounding we can't do it right (laughs) but before i could say anything the singer shoves a journey disc and says i want it to sound like this (laughs) then the keyboard player Shoved some 80s synth pop band CD. Boom! I want it to sound like this. First thing I said was, "This band's this band's fucked." Sorry, I didn't mean to curse. Sorry, they're they're going to break up. But it was like, he, he, I see where he's coming from. Like everyone has their opinions, yeah. and you're supposed to fulfill their wishes right then and there. And mixing is one thing, but I'm a mastering guy. You can't you can't EQ to get rid of echo if echoes added on the recording. Yeah. You can't EQ, you know. And it was like yeah. that was like I don't. At, that was my awakening moment where I said, I'm a musician, but I can't work with musicians anymore unless they're the right kind. It was, it was horrible. It was Mark, horrible. Did, did, did the bass player want to do a jazz odyssey? <laughs> no, he was stoned. He was just sitting in the back. You know? And, you know, the, and, this, and Lou, this was at this was in Hillsdale, CPI. And right. um, small mastering room. So they're, like, they're there. And it's like, oh, man. Like, and, I'm, you know, when you have people over your shoulder and stuff, it was like, ugh, I'm going to have yeah. to break down now. So when, <laughs> when, when Perry mentioned that, I was like, yeah, I get where he's where it's coming from. Just get them all out. Yeah. So I do my like thing. What is CPI? Because, you know, we're, we're talking to each other, but there's also people out there who don't know. Okay, so CPI is. was Cassette Productions Incorporated in Hillsdale, New Jersey. They were, if I could toot my own horn, and Tom Spallone will agree to this because that's where I met Tom. We did some big stuff. And Hillsdale, New Jersey is this tiny little bedroom community in Bergen County. And um, Cassette Productions, we did Lake Wobegon days for NPR. Uh, I don't cool. know if you guys remember that. That was huge. But we did, we were doing um, uh, uh, Two Life Crew when. Um, when he bought out from the major label and he got all his old, you know, we were doing his stuff. We were doing all different kinds of music, but we also had the local connection. A lot of local bands were coming in. That was my favorite part of the job. Yeah. I'd I'd get a mastering job for something, you know, relatively big. Like we did some, we we were doing Island records for a while. uh, And I got to do an anthrax album. Not that it, I didn't, all I did on that one was just make it sound good for cassette. So you, you compress the shit out of it. Right. But the, the, the local stuff was what I loved because um, we used to do all stuff for No Discipline. Do you guys remember that band? Yeah. yeah sort of a reggae band. Al Bazazz. Al Great stuff. And I love doing No Discipline stuff. But, um, you know, so, but we did a lot of rap. It was the early days of rap. But then 
this is this is the joy of a mastering engineer. So you're going to do a rap album, then you're going to get a Orthodox Jewish recording, and you have to do that, and you have to EQ it to the way they want. Then you get uh, a classical recording or a jazz recording, and that's what I loved about it. It was just constantly changing, you know. So CPI, yeah, we did good stuff. We we did a lot more than we ever got credit for. That it was a great group of people working. We worked our asses off back there. Now, when and you then, Anthrax record, were those guys there sleeping on the floor or something? No, no, no. They, <laughs> they, we never had anyone big come in like that. There was well, there was a couple possibilities of people coming in, but. Now, Island Records, he had a big label. So it was basically they threw you the DAT, the DAT recording, and then you uh, did what you had to do. Um, you only heard from the big artists if they didn't like what you did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we should mention that our friend Tom Spallone has a podcast of his own called Going Postal. <laughs> it's excellent. <laughs> Highly recommended. The other day, he was talking about uh, Lorena Bobbitt. And, uh, and you know, <laughs> well, we know what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's not necessarily about music, huh? Yeah, I know. No, Tom's is not about music. It's about everything but music. Yep. <laughs> but it's, it's a, huh, it's a funny it cool podcast. I enjoy it. Hey, Lou, if, if you get a chance, Tom, is we should just explain. He wrote a book called Going Postal because he worked for the post office. And while it doesn't represent post offices all over the country, <clears throat> The yeah. district he worked in had issues, and he thought, as he says in the book, oh, postman, it's just easy. I'm going to deliver a bunch of letters. Oh, man. If you okay. read the book, you'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> when did he put the book out? Uh, about a year ago. Okay. And it's uh, it's on Apple Audio, and it's on um, – yes, you can get it on Amazon. Um, but just, you know, we've all been in jobs where we can't do the job – like. People think a job is simple, but the little things screw you up. And and if you read that, you'll be like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, like, I don't know how he did. Plus, it was during COVID. He's in Miami. It's 120 degrees or whatever. And and he has a mask on, on air-conditioned trucks. I mean, <laughs> wow, it's, it's amazing. You know? I, I also heard, yeah, you're not just delivering letters. There's a lot of, lot of pressure. It is. The, the, it the, is. The, the internal workings of a post office are apparently pretty fairly pressurized. And, and you know what? I know this is not music, and I'll just say this really quick. I do oversee the mailroom in the hospital I work in, and, you know, I see a little bit of it. I get calls from someone in an office saying, I order – I'm supposed to get a letter, and it didn't come yet. Can you find it? Uh, no. And that's what he would go through. He would go to a big apartment building. My letter didn't come. Where is it? Like, you can't answer that. You can't yeah. tell people, you know? <laughs> so. It's in the dead letter office. Oh, Lord, you want to tell them the STFU, but you can't. <laughs> Have you guys got any other musical topics you want to throw in there? Well, I'll tell you what. Well, I, I, wasn't, I, there, wasn't there the singing postman? Wasn't that, a, wasn't that Joey <laughs> Heatherton's father? Was that the singing milkman? <laughs> <laughs> well, just remember, remember, the postman always rings twice. <laughs> yes. Um, you know what? I did want to touch. We had a subject that we'll save for next week that I wanted to touch on, but I'm going to say one more thing. Uh, a, a new album that I discovered this week that hit me like a bowling ball was Johnny Marr's new album called Fever Dreams, parts one through four. I like it's, it's one of my favorite guitar players. Well, I'll tell you, this album is a song cycle. And I agree with one Amazon reviewer that said it's not maybe the best thing to listen to all in one sitting because it's 72 minutes. I can because he released it as four EPs digitally or something beforehand. But 
it's a great album. Let me just tell you, it is really good. It's mm. awesome. And it's, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, I, I was, the Smiths are okay, but I, I was not crazy about them, but I'll, I'll check it out. Well, Lou, here's something for you. Johnny Marr has uh, struck up a relationship with, um, uh, 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 who is it? The, the soundtrack guy. I can't remember his name. Danielle. Anyway, he played, he, he played on the, the last James Bond, uh, Time to Die. Oh, right, and with he, Billie Eilish. He played on Billie Eilish's song, and he said he, he loves her. He says he really likes her music. It's interesting, you know? Yeah. So um, Hans Zimmer. That's who he's playing with. Yeah, he, okay. he, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. That surprised me to hear that. And this album has a lot of very dramatic music in it, even though it's it's, it's four minute songs. But I can hear that soundtrack influence in it. Cool. I, I've got something musical to add. What have you got? I sang karaoke last night. <laughs> Yay! What did you sing? Uh, well, there's a there's a bar called it's an actual bar called the Social. Uh, it's pretty close to where I live now, so I, I'm there in 10 minutes. In fact, I turned a corner almost past it, which is unusual because I've lived further away from civilization in the past. Well, anyway, so it was me and some people from work, and uh, it's a pretty interesting crowd. It was fun. It's a fun place, but um, I sang two songs. I sang um, Feel a Whole Lot Better by the Birds, and I had my Bill Murray, my Bill Murray um, Lost in Translation moment because I sang Elvis Costello's Peace, Love, and Understanding. What's so funny about it? <laughs> and this morning i looked up the bill murray youtube clip and i couldn't stop laughing <laughs> is it is it karaoke or karaoke what is i would say, I would say it was karaoke i think it's karaoke um yeah it, it, it was fun you know people get up you know they sing country songs they do other things did but... anybody did anybody take a film of it like with their phone no i, I was we hoping we'll load it up on our website man. i know we're gonna do it again we're gonna do it again one day <laughs> but um it's kind of funny because I, I i forgot my phone at home when i left the house i was running late i got to the bar and i was, I was like my phone i left my phone at home you know who leaves, who leaves their cell phone at home anymore uh <laughs> but anyway so I, I was close to home but I, I was hoping one of the girls at work would have filmed it and just sent it around but uh it's funny because I sang that bird song and uh, my friend, she texted me today. She goes, I can't get that song out of my head. What was the name of it? <laughs> and she's well, 40. it's a great song. It's a great song. But um, that's funny because when I went up to the DJ, you know, I'm like, I said, it's an old song. Um, but she had to find the Tom Petty version from Full Moon Fever. But so playing in well, what kind of what kind of karaoke machine was it? Was it like just some cheesy no it was, Asian keyboard playing in the background, or was it no, the, no? Well, what, what it was, I, I got it, it, it's it's songs, but it's not the original recordings. I guess they can't do it, but they are really close. Um, like one guy did um, <laughs> Iron Man by Black Sabbath, and I said <laughs> the drum fill. I said the back of you could anyone could have sung to it. It was in proper key. I said, but that's not Black Sabbath. It's 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 a cover band doing it, but the, they're so authentic. So when I sang that song, um, uh, feel a whole lot better. It sounded more like the Tom Petty and the uh, Tom Petty version than the birds, but it was in the same key. There was nothing really missing, but the background vocals were on it. So yeah. every time I sang, you know, cool. Yeah, yeah. So there was there was backups, but next time I'm going to have someone uh, do it on their phone. So we'll, we'll put we'll put it on the now, website. Did, now, did you know the words, or did you follow along reading um, the I, words? I feel a whole lot better. I knew all the words, but I had to look every once in a while just to make sure. Um, but peace, love, and understanding. I, I had to read them, so. There was a stage, and then a lot of people were getting off the stage to read the teleprompter. But I, I like the stage. <laughs> <It's more laughs> <lighter>. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm a ham. But uh, so it, it was fun. It was fun. 
<laughs> but I, I've only done that once before at a company party, and I wasn't. Someone put my name in the in a hat, and I didn't know it. And I heard, "Next up, Lou Colicchio." I'm like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> <laughs> well, but so what do you guys want to do? We're at 75 minutes already. Well, I'll tell you what. I had a major, major uh, thing, but I think we should just leave it for next week because we're at 75 minutes. Well, let's make a major, major Why thing. Not? Well, well, come on. If it's a major, major okay. thing. Spit it let's, out, do a let's do a teaser for well all right i'll touch on one thing i read something in the new york times and uh um so last week i didn't even get to say it have you guys heard about this lost george jones recording no nope it's it's the stuff of movies let me tell you and <laughs> let me tell you uh did there was a tom cruise movie about a guy he played a guy that used to help bring drugs into the U.S. In that movie, he, he references guys in the South that were that were bringing drugs in. The guys I think that he was talking about in the movie were the one <laughs> with this George Jones thing. In 1966, George Jones cut a ton of songs for a couple guys, and they were supposed to be used on radio shows. And they, they think he recorded over 100 songs. And at the time in his band, Johnny Paycheck was his bass player. Yeah. And he cut uh, he cut Hank Williams songs. He cut originals, he, everything. These tapes were basically, nothing happened of them, but the guy that, that produced it took them. And years later, this guy, you know, he's a shyster. In the early 80s, he got convicted of... Uh, drugs he was bringing drugs into the u.s from the cartels in colombia so he put the tapes up as collateral for you know like yeah i, I don't want to go to jail you know here's the tapes and it, there's a picture in the new york times article where the judge wrote on the, the things do not go through metal detector machines as this will erase the tapes like they uh, really cared about the tapes you know oh yeah yeah the actual Long and short of it, they discovered that what they did was basically they gave the tapes back to the guy, but they didn't get them all out of the, the vault. So they found them in the vault. And um, what's what's going on is now the, the guy that, that originally did it, it's um, Donald Gilbreth, uh, Jimmy Klein, those are some of the, and Daniel Snotty, these are some of the names. They want to release them as this great George Jones album of lost tapes. George Jones's sons now say, "Oh, hold up! Hmm. It's our stuff. We're not, you know." And it's it's a, if you read the article in depth, I mean, legally, yeah, it's it's if you look at the what the, the contract that George Jones signs with these guys, yeah, his sons might have a deal with it. So we may never hear these tapes, but the whole idea of George Jones just sitting in this little studio at the end of a, a dead end road recording stuff—I'd love to hear this stuff. I would love it. So hopefully, we'll see the light of day. Yeah. Because in the future we should uh, we all we are we're all fans of country music, so perhaps we can talk about some of our favorite country music singers in a yeah. future episode, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, if, I, I, and, I like I like Tom T. Hall. He's good. So do I. <laughs> yeah. I like beer. <laughs> I like. I like, beer. <laughs> I like little baby pup. Hey Lou, well, you ever hear of uh, David Ball? I think I got a drinking. I got a thinking problem. You ever hear that song? David Ball is great. I love I love country music, but I, I suspect when we talk about country music, we're not going to be talking about these modern country artists. Oh, who, yes, we are. 
Yeah, well, you know what? All your problems can be solved if you just pop a Coors Light and sit on the back of your truck and, you know. Yeah, sit on the back of my pickup truck. Hey, fellas. Look at my my girl in her jeans. Hey, hey guys. Hey, now. All right. But, um, no, you know what? I'll tell you. (laughs) Come on, man. Merle Haggard, you know. Yeah, that was real country. Yeah, yeah. And these guys, yeah. these guys would, these, I, I read Willie Nelson's autobiography, one of four of them. He's got four of them. And you know that the guys that he, like, you know, all the guys that he was friends with, it doesn't matter who you are. If you were the right kind of person, they didn't hate you. You know what I mean? Like, they were cool with you. And well, Willie, Willie Nelson had a rule on tour also. You could smoke all the weed you want, but if you do coke, you're fired. Mm-hmm. You Not know? fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your lung can collapse, but you can't have coke here. <laughs> but you know, I, I, remember, I remember Farron Young. Remember, you know, Farron Young? Sure. Yeah. I know all those guys. Yeah, okay, well, apparently, he was one ornery SOB. However, he was one of the few people that stood by Charlie Pride when people were giving him a lot of flack for being an African-American country. There's yeah. a guy we should talk about, Charlie Pride. I mean, yeah. African-American yeah. country singer. And he's got some great songs, too. One of Willie yeah. Nelson's yeah. first songs that he wrote were was recorded by Farron Young. Remember what it was? Hello, Walls. I thought it was yeah. Walls. Hello, Walls. How things going for yeah. you today? Yeah. Hey, Perry, that, you know that's the song you know, I heard the other day. That made me think about that. Yeah. And you, you know the story behind it when he wrote that. He, I don't know if you know about he it. But he, in he a got garage. That, she was in a garage. Yeah. Yeah. He got a job like a brill building job. Like, hey, yeah, he yeah. write songs. He didn't know what to do. So he's like, okay, I'm sitting in this office with a typewriter. Okay. Oh, no, that it was walls. a garage. Yeah. <laughs> no windows. So that's where the hello walls came in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if we want to do country, because that country music hits me the same way that progressive music hits me. And that just means I'm weird. But when I hear a good old country song, it's the same as Pictures at an Exhibition from Emerson. Well, it's, it's such a large category because, you know, there's the Bakersfield, there's the Nashville. So, yeah, we can do a whole episode on that. You know, we'll, we, whenever you guys want to do it, I'm raring to go, man. I'm ready. Well, I'll tell you what. This week, we didn't do the one topic I would have liked to have done. So let's do it next week. Uh, what, what is it? When a band stopped becoming the band, you know, let's do that. That you, that you know. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You because... guys came up with this. Well, we only have in eight minutes. We'll do the Tonight Show. So you want to save it for next week? Absolutely. That's it. Let's do it All next right. week because so, that'll be a whole cluster. So let the people know what's coming next week, and somebody give out our email address also. So who is the female artist that put the bleep in country? <laughs> so with this, Wait, with this is... category of when bands <laughs> stop being bands, you mean like? There's old, excuse me. There's only one member of a band. Well, you no, know what? No, some no, bands, no. some bands can change members and still stay the band. Some bands, at some point, they stop being the band that you knew, and you just got, you just give it up. You're like, that's not the band that they were. Right. And it's really weird because changing members doesn't necessarily. There's some band that changed members, like in a, in a positive. ACDC changed a singer, and they stayed. Right. Now, um, now, I, for, for me, Blue Oyster Cult ended when Albert Bouchard was fired. But I knew you people, were going to say that, Luke. Well, yeah, well but, but for some people, it continued after that. But it, even mm. like Club Ninja, like one record, it, it, that was not really Blue Oyster Cult to me. So for me, it ended at one point. For you, it might end at a different point. For Perry, another point. 
So yeah. it's, it's a subjective thing, but it's what it means to you personally. Well, that's the whole thing. So yeah. we could say our opinion and then we comment like, so yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I have, I have an opinion when I'm not a big fan of kiss, but I have an opinion when they ended and you could disagree with me. And you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff we well, could talk here, about. Here's a, for, here's a, for instance, right? Like uh, Neil Turk is gone now. Right. Yeah. yeah. I Don't think that... Kenny Jones should be the drummer of rush. <laughs> you're, you're a fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's gonna happen. They're gonna have that cokier sound. <laughs> I heard Dave Grohl. It's gonna, gonna, it's gonna sound like another tricky day. <laughs> How about Bernard Party, Perry? <laughs> <laughs> Lou, Actually, Lou, he was our Lou. He was. Yeah, Bernard was. He's not. He's not Red Barchetta. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say he was already in the band. You didn't know that. Come on, yeah. man. <laughs> that, that's that's him on Fly By Night. I, I, most people don't know that. Yeah. He taught he taught Neil Pert his drum solo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is bad. We shouldn't say this. All right. So, so what? So, guys, join us next week. We're going to talk about when bands stop being bands, and we're going to talk about country music and some various other things, also. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Mark stop drinking Chardonnay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and what's our <laughs> website, guys? Music Rose Podcast at gmail.com. All right. And we're also Music Relish Podcast. And we can find us at WordPress. We have a website there. And we're going to put some film of Lou singing karaoke up there also. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and you can leave us comments on the bottom. Uh, Music Relish Podcast, you know, at WordPress. WordPress is a good site. And uh, we have a page on there. So, uh, yeah. And um, nice show, guys. I'm, I had a blast, man. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, uh you know what? We're going to say goodbye, and I'm going to play a little bit of this song that we recorded. The first song when, uh, when uh, Mark and I came up to visit Lou in uh, Barnardsville, we recorded a song called Asheville Skyline. <laughs> a little instrumental number. So we're going to play it now on the fade out, okay? All right. Nice song. All right. Good song. Yeah. <laughs>